Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of The Bible Unmasked. The Bible Unmasked is a, a Bible study where we go through uh, the Bible in a year and it airs on Sunday nights at 7.30 on YouTube and on plantationsda.tv. So as I said, the goal is to read the entire Bible in 2021 and the reading plan is shared weekly during the Sabbath service on and our social media. So we'd like to just invite you and your family members, friends, co-workers to text their questions in advance to 954-388-8780. And uh, when we discuss the, the uh, reading on Bible Unmasked, the pastors and uh, our SAS principal uh, addresses those questions. So uh, I'm your host this week, Lenny Anderson, and we have here our presenter, Pastor Paul Anderson, who's also my husband. So Pastor Paul, uh, for us to go ahead and start, we just ask that you could pray for us, please. Certainly. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for another opportunity to study your word, to dive deep and to understand the mysteries of godliness. I pray that your spirit will guide us and direct us as we go through these questions, may enrich our lives and empower us for service, not only for now, but for eternity in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, so um, before we dive right in, um, Pastor Paul, could you talk about a little bit about what we discussed last week and what we're going to expect for um, the discussion for this week? Absolutely. So last week we looked at uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 through Job chapter 12. And, you know, in Nehemiah, we we see that this book recounts the, the people's return from exile and the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. We see that Nehemiah rebuilds the walls and also Ezra, a descendant of Aaron, arrives in Jerusalem later and instills God's law to the post-exile generation. So throughout the book, Job and his, and his wife um, and his friends speculate on why he, an upright man, suffers. And Job accuses God of being unjust and his friends believe that Job's sin caused his suffering. But God reminds him that the world has order and beauty, but it is also wild and dangerous. Uh, but we'll get a little further into it, but that's where we're, we're coming from from last week. Um, and Pastor McCoy did an excellent job covering that section. Okay, thank you, Pastor Paul. So we're gonna go right into uh, the questions that we have from our viewers. So our first question is, must all Christians go through trials and tribulations as Job did? Is there a disconnect from God if we are never tested or never experience any trials? So in Job 14, 1, 
Man, born of woman, lives a few days, and then they are full of trouble. That is a great question. Uh, you know, one of the most difficult parts of the Christian life is the fact that becoming a disciple of Christ uh, does not make you immune to life's trials and tribulations. Uh, why would a good God and loving God allow us to go through things such as the death of a child, uh, disease and injury to ourselves and our loved ones, financial hardships, worry and fear? Surely if he loved us, he would take all these things away from us. Uh, after all, doesn't loving us mean that he wants our lives to be easy and comfortable? You know, that's usually the notion that, uh, that we, we have a lot of times. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. The Bible clearly teaches that God loves those who are his children. And he works things together for their good. We find that in Romans 8 verse 28. So that simply means that trials and tribulations he allows in our lives to work together all things for our good. In other words, God is the one that keeps everything together and he's working things out, even though to us things are being undone and unraveled and things are just working to our demise, you know, from the human perspective, that would be the thinking. But really, um, God's ultimate purpose is for us to grow more uh, into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And this is the goal of the Christian. And everything in life, including trials and tribulations, is, is designed to enable us to reach that goal, becoming more like Christ. We cannot be Christ but we can certainly emulate him. You know, just like a child cannot be you as much as he admires you as his, his, his father or his, uh, his mother cannot become you, but he can become like you because what he sees, he will emulate. So uh, the way trials accomplish this in 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7, the Bible says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found in to result in praise and glory and honor. So another purpose is for us to bring glory and honor to God's name, because we can rejoice through trials. Trials uh, are not meant to cause us to complain and murmur and, and find everything wrong with our lives. Uh, that's, that's correct. Trials develop character and they enable us to rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Uh, it produces character and character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint because God has poured out all his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Awesome. Well, I mean, that's, that's an awesome hope. So, um, our, our trials are, you know, something that we, uh, depend on God to work out for our good. That's amazing. So our, um, Pastor Paul, our next question is, um, taken from Job nineteen six, and it says, but, it is God who has wronged me, capturing me in his net. 
So how does this align with Job's friend's belief that only the unrighteous suffer? Great question. Now, Job's friends succumb to this temptation. Um, and it would be foolish to imagine that we would never do the same. You know, uh, if you see a friend, if you see a friend suffer, you would think, wow, you, you probably did something that you should not have done. You probably went somewhere, you probably ate something uh, that you should not have. You should have known better. And you know, how much harm have well-intentioned Christians caused by giving pious-sounding answers to suffering, even though we have no idea what we're talking about, right? We try to make sense of it because we right. think we understand it. Because only God knows, right? That's it. <laughs> and, you know, we think it's it's all for the best. It's all a part of, of God's plan. And God never sends people more adversity than they can handle. You've heard it. God will never give you more than you can handle. And it's true, right? So how foolish to think we know the reason for anyone's suffering, the cause of anyone's, uh, you know, disease or, or, or demise or, uh, you know, pain. We don't know. We can speculate. We can surmise. Uh, you certainly can come up with all sorts of um, ideas, but it would be more truthful, more helpful to admit, I don't know why this happened to you, right? It would have been more sensible right. for Job's friends to have said to him, well, we don't, we're not sure, you know, but we're here for you, right? Um, you know, no one should have to go through this. And if we can do this, and then remain just present, being there with the person, we may become an agent of God's compassion. Now, Job's friends, they can't lament with Job or even acknowledge that they, they lack a basis for judging him. They were, they were hell-bent on defending God by placing the blame on Job. Job, it's your fault. Right. You know, would, would you want a friend around you that is blaming you for your suffering, that wouldn't seem like a friend because it would simply just make that suffering more unbearable. And, uh, you know, it, it would be a pleasant experience. So, you know, they're blaming Job. And as the friend's speeches continue, their rhetoric becomes increasingly hostile. And faced with the self-imposed choice of blaming Job or blaming God, they hard their hearts against their former friend. You know, they're focused. Mm -hmm. their, their, their mission is to put him down and, 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 and place the blame squarely on him so that, you know, he cannot make any excuses. And there's no end. Uh, the Bible says in Job 22, verse 5, there's no end to your iniquities. And this is this is Eliphaz speaking. And then he and then he invents some iniquities to charge against uh, Job. You have given no water to the weary to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. Wow, you have sent widows away empty-handed, and the arms of the orphans you have crushed. 
Wow. Remember at the beginning of, of, of Job, uh, the Bible declares Job an upright man. Right? Right, right, right. Upright, a man of integrity. Right. And I think, um, you know, like we have so many, so much temptation to do that a lot of times because, mm-hmm. I mean, no matter what, you know, uh, people choose to try to look better than the other person or try, try to say that, okay, my judgments are, are right. And um, the truth is that we don't know. That's correct. So, you know, each one of them, they they took turns putting Job down and and, and causing him to feel inferior as though, you know, he was the worst person on the planet that that committed, you know, some of the most egregious acts. And, you know, you can imagine how Job felt um, throughout this whole ordeal. But, Job, he had a different idea. You know, he he believed that that God had a purpose, a purpose for his suffering. I'm going to go through that a little, little more as we as we talk. Yeah, yeah. He trusted that God knew what he was doing. Yes. Yeah. So um, the next question is taken from Job 23, uh, verse 3, and verses 8 to 9. If only I knew where to find God, I would go to his court. I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, nor uh, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. How could... God have wronged Job. Did God still call Job blameless despite statements like these? Great question. So, in uh, as I said earlier, in Job uh, chapter 1, uh, we find what the Bible says, Job was blameless and upright. And this cannot mean that Job was sinless. Okay? Because Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fallen on short of the glory of God. So what does that mean? Well, the Hebrew word uh, blameless is translated tam and can be trans- translated as blameless, perfect, or upright. The same word is used in Proverbs 29 verse 10, uh, which says, the bloodthirsty hate a person of integrity and seek to kill the upright. So a blameless person is someone whose life exhibits integrity. Okay, follow me closely. Now, upright in Job, Job 1 verse 1 is translated um, yashar, which means upright or just. And the word is used in parallel in this verse with blameless. Now, in Psalms 37 verse 37, the same word is used in parallel with those who seek peace. Consider the blameless Observe the upright, a future awaits those who seek peace. Okay? Now, the fuller context is found in Job 1 verse 1, which says, This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. So, the description of Job being blameless and upright is linked to the fear of God and the avoidance of evil. And the, the parallel of the, the parallelism can be seen like this, blameless and upright. 
a God-fearer, and one who turns from evil. So in short, Job was blameless and upright in that he was a man of integrity who trusted God as his redeemer, sincerely worshiped the Lord, loved his family, and was consistent in his walk with God. Okay? Following the description of Job's riches and his children, the text mentions that he he held a, a, a feast for uh, Job's sons. And the specific examples of Job's blameless and upright nature is then given. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them, his children, to be purified. What does that mean? Job was praying for his children uh, because he wanted to make sure if they had drifted, if they had, you know, done things that were, were inappropriate or uh, would, would, would bring uh, disgrace on them before God. Uh, that they were covered. They were covered by prayer. That's what Job did, you know, while his children were away. So Job, it's clear, Job was an uh, upright, uh, a blameless man, a man of integrity, one who feared God and avoided evil. Doesn't mean that he was sinless, but he tried his best to avoid um, evil. Our next question uh, comes from Job 26, 5, and it says, the dead are in deep anguish, those beneath the waters and all that live in them. Couldn't Job just speak to God through prayer? So Job... Job communicated with God, uh, and and yes, yes, he could have prayed, uh, but he had more so uh, a conversation going between him and God, and he wanted to, and really that's what prayer is. Prayer is a communication as to a friend. Uh, it doesn't need to be, uh, you know, structured in a way that, you know, it sounds more like a routine or it sounds monotone. Job had a real heart-to-heart conversation with God, and it was in so doing, he was able to just express exactly how he felt. Um, yeah, and, and here in this scripture, Job 26, 5, we find Job, you know, just being in a, in a deep emotional state of mind, and and he was able to just express all of that to God. Okay, so um, our next question comes from Job twenty seven seven. May my enemy be punished like the wicked. May my adversary like those who do evil. So, does this passage conflict with our belief that the dead know nothing? Not at all. Not at all. We see here that uh, Job is simply saying, you know, those who practice evil should be punished. Um, you know, those who are living lives that are are, are violent, evil. Uh, those who go around trying to hurt people and take advantage of people, those are people who should be completely uh, punished 
Right. I mean, just because the, you know, like everybody goes through trials and the righteous go through trials doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for sin. That's correct. Absolutely. Um, and this passage does not come conflict with our belief that the, the, the dead knows nothing. Absolutely. Uh, Job would, would never insinuate that uh, people who are, are, are dead could could be punished, or they you know you know they could uh, do anything in the grave. Certainly not. Um, you know, Job is saying clearly those who those who are evil practice uh, unrighteousness should be punished. Okay. So um, that leads us to our next question. Uh, should we follow Job's example, curse our enemies, and ask God to punish them, or should we pray for their salvation instead? So that comes from um, Job 29, verse 16. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. So should we pray for their salvation instead of uh, asking God to punish our enemies? Absolutely. I think it's important for us to always... Um, you know, look out for the best in others. In other words, we we should always desire people's good. We should always want to see the best outcome for people. You know, a lot of times we uh, we see people suffer, and we think, yeah, they just like Job's friends. We think in our minds, yeah, they they must have done something wrong. And they must have went down the wrong path, made some really poor choices, and we believe that is the reason. Uh, but no, it's it's important for us to pray for our enemies. Um, Jesus said that: pray for your enemies and do good to them who persecute you and take advantage of you. Uh, because if you do this, then you show that you are my disciple. If you choose not to do that, then you know how will how will there be some Distinction between you and someone who who's just living for themselves, who just you know operate on um, you know their own thinking. No, we must show that there is a distinguishable difference in our deportment, in our behavior to others, especially when they seem different, when they are persecuting us. I mean, if you look at Stephen, uh, when he was being stoned, did he curse his, his persecutors? Not at all. And you look at, at, at uh, Saul, who became Paul, he, he was doing the persecuting. Now, after he truly became converted, he was... Uh, he was being persecuted, you know, and, and in, in an intense manner as well. You know, one time he was even, uh, they, they tried to boil him in a big pot of oil. Uh, I, I don't know how it's possible to survive that, but, you know, God protected him. And uh, he did not curse these people, you know. So we see there are many examples uh, that we find in the Bible that remind us that we should pray uh, for pray for our enemies. Another another good example is Moses. Um, you know, we talked about that a few episodes back. 
where, um, you know, the, the children of Israel sin against God and then Moses pleads for, for them, um, you know, from God. So, yeah, we have uh, a few examples there. Correct. As well. Absolutely. Okay, so our next question um, is from Job 30, verse 1. But now I am mocked by people younger than I, by young men whose fathers are not worthy to run with my sheep dogs. Um, the question is, in the context of Job listed his good deeds, did he believe in righteousness by works? <laughs> so... So Job here, uh, he, you know, Job went through a, a series of ups and downs. He is, you can imagine, um, being riddled with pain physically and uh, also being bombarded by the unnecessary uh, comments from his friends. Uh, certainly, since no one was trying to defend his cause or, or to speak to uh, anything uh, positive. Right, anything good about his life. Right. You can imagine he needed, uh, he needed to kind of speak up for himself. So he had to, he had to say, you know what? Um, yes, there are some things that I have done right. And uh, he made no... Uh, you know, no qualms about it. He was very clear. And he, he went ahead and, and listed um, some of the things that he did. Um, he knew, and I believe he knew how uh, he was before God and upright right. and, and blameless. I, I believe he knew that. Right. He right? knew his relationship. He knew his relationship with God, you know, and, and the fact is, you know, people who think about it, criminals, they're not, they're, they're not afraid to be known as a liar or, or as a thief or a murderer. A criminal is a criminal. You go and talk to someone in prison, you know, unless they've been converted, you know, when they were out doing crime, they will say, yes, I was a murderer. I was a, you know. I was a thief, you know, right. and you know that is that was who they who they were for the moment. Right, that's what happened. There's nothing to change that, right? Correct. Now, now, Job, Job needed essentially needed a leg to stand on, and he said, "You know what? These are are the things that I know that I've done, and I've done them right." You yeah. know. Okay, so so. So if we just take a snapshot right there, that leads us to our next question. So the, the question says, in as we're talking about this, in these passages, Job sounds arrogant. So is it okay to believe that others are beneath us? So based on what he had been saying and what we're talking about, that he's listing his deeds and he's talking about, um, you know, being mocked by people that are younger and that the... Um, uh, people whose fathers are not worthy to run with my sheepdogs. So, yeah, so so can we get into that a little bit? He sounds sure. arrogant. Great question. Now, 
let's let's define arrogant. Arrogant is someone who's who's arrogant, who's, who thinks they're better. Basically, someone who thinks they're better or more important than other people, and behaves in a way that is rude and too confident. Um, what about proud? Proud. Uh, is used about someone who feels so proud that they, they think they're better than other people. What about conceited? Well, as someone who is conceited, um, someone who's conceited behaves in a way that allows uh, others to think they are intelligent, skillful, or attractive. And this word shows that you do not like people like this. Um, Self-satisfied, that's showing disapproval, you know, showing how pleased you are about your own situation in a way that annoys other people. Now, was Job doing this? Uh, certainly not. Job was not arrogant. Um, he, he may have come across that way, uh, although when we say arrogant uh, before God, before God, yes, he started off that way. Um, and certainly God had to kind of correct, <laughs> you know, correct that. But certain, before his friends, not at all. He needed to speak up for himself. He needed to say, hey, listen. Um, yeah, I, like, why are you attacking my character in this way? Right. You know? um, I, I don't know. Who told you what or what you think you know about me? But uh, this is who I am and this is what I've done. These are choices that I've made. Okay. So, um, Job, he, yes, he may have come across arrogant, um, but I don't think it's ever, no, I don't think it's ever necessary and okay to uh, put people beneath us. Okay. So so our next question asks, did Job see God as Satan? No, no. Oh, no, not at all. Um, he, of course, he did. He did feel like the treatment that he was rece receiving was coming from an enemy. Uh, but notice that he did say, and he cleared everything up. He said, though he slayed, he knew God was allowing him to go through this experience. And he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. So he believed, he believed in his heart and his mind that, that God had allowed uh, him to go through the suffering, even though it was terrible, even though it seemed like a suffering that, you know, only an enemy would want to put you through, you know? Have you ever gone through something and you said, you know what? Man, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, right? Um, well, he felt like he was receiving treatment, like, from his worst enemy. And and when you think about it, yes, he was from the devil. Right. The devil had been been given the rights to go and inflict pain and suffering in his life right. um and 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 the devil of course wanted to wanted him to feel as though um it, it, it was all coming from god god didn't like me god hated him and ultimately the devil wanted him to curse god and 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 thank thank god 
you know, Job did not succumb to that uh, feeling or that idea or notion. I mean, and that's a powerful, powerful witness right there. Mm-hmm. Um, that passage, though he slay me still will I trust him, is a um, powerful pillar that we can lean on in times of trial, you know, to know that God is still in control and, and that God is the one who who sees what we can bear and, and um, you know, uh, keeps back the plans of the enemy. And, and um, you know, we're put through the trials that we're put through. So I think that's, that's, that's a great affirmation. So our next question um, says, Job's friends believed he was belligerent and refused to repent. Should we have empathy for the unrepentant? If Job's friends saw him as unrepentant, would having empathy, Empathy for him mean they were taking his side and opposing God. And then the second part is where did Eliphaz get the concept that God doesn't trust even his angels? Wow, that that, that is a loaded question. So let's let's uh, let's take it in pieces. Right. So should we have empathy for the unrepentant? They think that Job, his friends think that Job is unrepentant and belligerent. Should we have empathy for the unrepentant? Well, I think we should pray for those who are unrepentant. Um, Again, there's a fine line between wanting to blame someone for their condition, their situation, and actually saying, you know what, I'm going to, because, you know, everyone has freedom of choice, I'm going to pray for them and and hope, you know, they make the right choice and they change their mind. And really, you know, it's only only the Holy Spirit that can make that change and and, and convict that heart. Now, uh, should we have empathy? Um, Yes, I think we should have empathy because think about the times when you were living a life of rebellion and you were living a life that uh, was in complete opposition to God's will. It simply meant that you were unrepentant and you would want someone to have empathy. You would want someone to have compassion and mercy towards you, right? Um, so the, the question also asked, okay, so if we are, if we empathize with that person, then are we opposing God? If we're taking their side, are we opposing God? Oh, no, no, no. There's, there's no way that, you know, being, um, being compassionate towards someone who is unrepentant. I mean, just think about it. When you have, when you have a child who is, uh, has gone, who was who was like the prodigal son who has gone wayward and decided, you know what, they want to have nothing to do with God, the church, uh, anything spiritual, any, you know, any spiritual matters, they're they're done. It simply means that they're on their own, meaning that they are living life on their terms. And certainly you would feel, you would feel nervous for them. But, you know, uh, like Job, Job prayed for his children because he knew they may have been going in the wrong direction, been making the wrong choices, you know, doing the wrong thing. Uh, but he covered them through prayer. And that was empathy 
that was compassion and, and uh, uh, mercy towards his children, you know? Uh, so it is important for us to show empathy to those who are unbelievers or unrepentant, uh, who choose not to, you know, to accept God's will or to seek his purpose for their lives. We need to pray for those people. I mean, the same thing is, is said so many times about a mother's prayer. Like yes. many people have recounted like, oh, I know that my mother prayed for me. It's because of my mother's prayer is why I'm here today. But they weren't there, right? But they know that, you know, like in those moments, their their mother or whoever has been praying for them right. has such compassion and such desire for there to be goodness in their life that, that they were prayed for and that would, is what delivered them. So that's great. Absolutely. So um, the other, the second part to the question is uh, where did Eliphaz get the concept that God doesn't trust even his angels? So that, that is, again, that's a great question. Um, Eliphaz was was certainly um, wrong in his belief, <laughs> uh, you know, because Scripture contains many stories of angels doing God's work. Uh, angels are actually using the Bible to protect believers, carry messages to humankind, and help judge the earth. Uh, angels also praise God and intercede. For believers, uh, we find that in Psalms 148, uh, verse 2, Matthew 18, 10. But they're not omniscient. They're not all-knowing. And they're described as mighty beings that do God's bidding and obey his word. So we know that God is perfect. That nothing imperfect can dwell in his presence. So since we know that angels do dwell in his presence, uh, we can assume that the holy angels are indeed perfect. And Jesus calls them holy angels for a reason. In fact, Luke, Luke 9 verse 26 tells us, whoever is, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. This is Jesus declaring his angels holy. Now, there, there are two passages in Job that seem to contradict the idea of angels being perfect. Okay, the first is we find in Job 4, verse 18, when it says, Even in his servants he puts no trust, and his angels he charges with error. Okay, and the second is Job 15 verse 15 which says behold god puts no trust in his holy ones and the heavens are not pure in his sight okay these two verses are part of two separate speeches by job's friend eliphaz who is attempting to help job make sense of his misfortunes job was a righteous man a good man who feared god and lived blamelessly therefore the multiple tragedies he suffered seemed very odd to the righteous or to the religious minds of his friends for the reason that that god rewards the good 
with pleasurable things and the evil with painful things. Right? Follow me closely. So from that wrong premise, they told Job that his pain and tragedy were the result of sin in his life. And when Job maintained his innocence, his friends doubted him. Okay? Now, Eliphaz now steps forward and argues against Job's innocence using angels as proof. If God charges his angels with error, how much more those who live in houses of clay? This is Eliphaz. In other words, if even the angels are faulted before God, certainly human beings are incapable of living innocently. Now, in another speech to Job, Eliphaz returns to the same theme. If God places no trust in his holy ones, if even the heavens are not pure, in his eyes, how much less mortals who are vile and corrupt. Okay, we find that in Job 15, verses 15 and 16. So there are two things that we need to keep in mind. First, Eliphaz was not a truth teller. Okay, he was a liar. <laughs> In fact, at the end of the book of Job, when the Lord himself appears, uh, we read this. God said to Eliphaz, the, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me. Mm. Wow. You see that? Job, that's Job 42 verse 7. So it is important to always know who is speaking in the book of Job. The words of Eliphaz and the other two of Job's friends are unreliable. We, we cannot use them as any source of truth. And secondly, in the verses previous to Job 4 verse 18, we see that Eliphaz got his information from a spirit that had visited him in the night. Hmm. Wow. And this spirit did not appear to Eliphaz the same way uh, holy angels appear to Daniel or Mary or Joseph. The holy angels came in the light, announced that their messages were from God and told the humans they visited not to fear. The spirit that appeared to Eliphaz on the other hand, frightened him, hid in the darkness and whispered in his ear. So it's, it is certain that the spirit that appeared to Eliphaz was a demon. A fallen angel who was expressing its own bitterness or being charged with error by a holy God. So these passages here in Job, though they at first, they may seem to you know, contradict the idea of holy angels. They do not prove the imperfection of God's angels. Instead, they've actually proved the, the imperfection of man who is easily deceived and must always ask God for wisdom instead of relying on his own susceptible intellect. So the long and short of it, guys, is that uh, you cannot trust man's words. Trust God's word. The, the word, you know, you look at the length and breadth of what the Bible has to say about the angels, and the angels are declared as holy, as perfect. Okay, so I trust what the Bible says. Um, I certainly <laughs> trust uh, Eliphaz. Eliphaz got this idea from a demon.
Right. So in addition to all the inflictions that Job is suffering, you know, um, these are just other ways and other avenues that Satan uses to continue to afflict Job. That's uh, correct. That's, that's mind-blowing, yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, so our next question, and we're um, we're winding down, um, is uh, Job's miserable comforters, and I mm-hmm. guess that's fitting, said exactly what God said at the end, but at, are still called wrong by God. Do you have an explanation for this? So um, the the passage is Job forty two through four. Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let the person who accuses God give him an answer. Then Job answered the Lord, Indeed, I am completely unworthy. How do I reply to you? But my hand caught over my mouth to silence myself. Okay. So, you know, Job's story is, is famous for its treatment of the universal themes of personal suffering. Uh, enduring hope and, and God's sovereignty. You know, what I love most about God being sovereign is the fact that, you know, God is a mysterious being, okay? Uh, he's love. He is, he is compassionate. Uh, he's merciful. He's just. He's righteous. He's everything good, right? And when we find things that seem to contradict if you look deeper, there, there really is no contradiction. Why? Because God is infallible. Now, Job suffered tremendously and endured his trials with patience. However, while he was going through his darkest days, three of his friends really just made his life even more difficult. And they, they, they turned out to be miserable comforters. Okay. In Job's estimation, he, he described them as miserable com- comforters in Job 16, 2. And, you know, Job's would-be comforters offered all sorts of possibilities why Job was going through such misery. But adding insult to injury, they, they focused on the theory that Job, what? He had unconfessed sin in his life and God was punishing him and... You know, Job knew that his conscience was clear. And you know, that's a blessing when you know you have a clear conscience. You know the life that you're living. You know, uh, you know, God, God reminds us in the new covenant that his law is written in our hearts. So anywhere you travel in this world, even if no one heard about God or Jesus, right. God's law is written. On the heart, so they have a sense of uh, uh, of their moral obligation, meaning they know what is right from wrong. Now, um, you know, Job's miserable comforters they they twisted God's word, twisted uh, these spiritual uh, ideas. Right and brought in some ridiculous ideologies. And, and Job grew weary of their assertions. And he, he blurted out, I've heard many things like these, 
you are just miserable comforters, all of you. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and I'm really surprised that he didn't he didn't just run them and just tell them to just leave, uh, you know, leave his presence. I mean, he really uh, exerted a high level of patience and tolerance for for their behavior. But uh, God, on the other hand, he just swift judgment, <laughs> you know, uh, and it was it was Job who had to actually had to actually step in and say, you know what, I will pray. Um, in fact, he asked, Job prayed for his friends. And, and that's the reason why God showed them, showed them mercy. <laughs> wow. Wow. So that brings us to our last question. And the question is, uh, could you explain why God doesn't answer Job's questions, yet Job seems satisfied and repented with God's scolding? That's a great question. Um, I think to summarize uh, this study, we see that uh, Job had a lot going on. Um, and you can imagine when you have been your body's been riddled with pain and um, and maybe, you know, you are in such an, a low emotional state, certainly, um, you would have a lot of questions. You'd have a lot going, going on in your mind. And this was Job's condition. God knew it. And, and God is so wise. He is so... He's such a father. Uh, you know, a father knows when to respond and how to respond. And he knows um, how to frame his response in a way that um, it may not answer the question that the child thinks needs to be answered, but rather what it, the, the greater, the, you know, the bigger picture. And that's what God did. He showed Job, he, he, in other words, he helped Job zoom out, you know, you know, press that button on the lens to zoom out and now see the big picture. What is the, 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 the big picture here? And um, yes, it did seem, it did seem like God was scolding Job but really he was just making him humble. So he recognized, listen, I'm at the end of the day, there is none like me. Okay. I am God. All right. And just, just in case you forget, you know, he was having just a, you know, a man to man talk, you know, you know, when you can just be blunt and honest with your friend, that was God. Just, Hey, this is what it is. And there's no, there's no uh, discussion about this. This is what it is. This is facts. I'm giving you facts and I'm keeping it 100. And that, that's what, what God was doing. Keeping it 100 with Job. So Job could step up and realize, hey, you know what? I, I got out of line. I stepped out of bounds. Right. Um, let me get, let me, let me know my place again. And I, and let me give you the respect that you deserve. Wow. Well, I think that, you know, as we see the events unfold with what happened to Job, it's an awesome 
testimony, you know, like when we have trials that, you know, God is still the the answer. He still has all the answers. Absolutely. So um, we want to go ahead and invite our viewers uh, to read Psalm 1 through 42 for the upcoming week. And you can go ahead and text your questions and also invite your family members, friends and co-workers and anyone uh, within your sphere of influence and that you have on your mind to uh, text their questions um, for the reading to 954-388-8780. Once again, 954-388-8780. Okay, so um, we just encourage you that as you're going through the reading, read, read, um, read daily, read a little bit at a time so you can go ahead and get through um, those passages. Or maybe you can't put it down and you just go ahead and read right through. But um, we just want to encourage you in this week. So for the upcoming week, we will have uh, Principal Stevenson and LaVon Brown as our hosts. And um, Pastor Paul, we just want to know a little bit about what to expect um, from uh, the upcoming reading, Psalms 1 through Psalms 42. Yes. Um, you know, the, the book of Psalms is, is probably one of the you know, most beloved uh, books in the Bible. A lot of people, that's like their go-to. Anytime you want to find, uh, you know, just, just an amazing uh, poetic reading. And this, that's what this book, uh, the book of Psalms really is. It's a, a design collection of poetry that recounts Israel's history and God's covenant promises. So in the first couple of chapters leading up to chapter 42, you're going to find uh, a beautiful layout of, of uh, poetic um, symbolism and, um, you know, a historical unpacking of Israel's uh, accounts. Okay, great. So I just invite all of you viewers to go ahead and subscribe to uh, Plantation SDA um, YouTube channel, and then you'll be notified automatically of our future episodes and any other live stream. So thank you so much for joining us today. And um, Pastor Paul, if you could end us in prayer, please. Certainly. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, study that we went through, uh, the life of Job and, and how he overcame his challenges and his, uh, his ups and downs. Uh, Lord, we find courage. We find strength in the fact that he was able to go through it he had his emotions uh, going up, up and down, but in the end, he was able to uh, come out stronger and better. I pray that you would bless everyone, help us to trust you no matter what we go through, so that we too can overcome and be, be victorious in this life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time. Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. 
for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with the Bible Unmasked.